Salo Falava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. This typhoon, currently a Category 1, could intensify to a Category 2. A typhoon warning is in place for the Northern Marianas and Guam. People are told to prepare. Also, 15 Pacific leaders touched down in Port Moresby. Our reporters have the latest. And later on... American Idol crowns its new winner. The United States National Weather Service in Guam have announced people in Mariana Islands need to have all preparations for Typhoon Mawa completed by sundown tomorrow at the latest. Tropical storm force winds are expected to arrive within the next 24 hours in Guam and Rota, but could arrive by tomorrow morning. Caleb Fotheringham has more. There is now a typhoon warning for Guam and Rota, and a watch remains for Tinian and Saipan, which both have a tropical storm warning. The current typhoon track has been favouring a passage between Guam and Rota. However, the National Weather Service in its latest update says all of the Mariana Islands are still at risk of a direct hit from Mawar. This typhoon, currently a Category 1, could intensify to a Category 2, possibly a low-end Category 3, as it passes through the Rota Channel or very near Guam or Rota in the coming days. Category 2 strength would see sustained winds between 154 to 177 kilometres per hour and gusts reaching 224 kilometres per hour. A Category 3 typhoon will see sustained winds between 178 to 208 kilometres per hour and gusts possibly reaching 269 kilometres per hour. Lead forecaster Patrick Dole says the Mariana Islands could have tropical storm force winds of 63 kilometres an hour or more for 12 to 18 hours. He says there will likely be flooding, with the storm possibly bringing over 30 centimetres of rain to some parts of the region. This is a multifaceted storm that is going to take its time going through the area with multiple high-impact portions of it. In preparation, the National Weather Service are urging people to prepare for prolonged power outages. The Papua New Guinean capital Port Moresby was a hive of activity on Monday, with the likes of the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, US Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and 15 Pacific leaders, including New Zealand's Prime Minister Chris Hipkins in town. Papua New Guinea Prime Minister James Marape and his government have been busy hosts. And I sincerely, on behalf of my sisters and brothers uh, of the Pacific uh, and the leadership team of the Pacific Island nations who are here, I do sincerely welcome you to our nation's capital, to Port Mosby, to Papua New Guinea and to the Pacific. RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis and Papua New Guinea correspondent Scott Waide have been shuffling from meeting to meeting, keeping us abreast of developments. One major point of contention being the proposed signing of a US PNG bilateral defence cooperation agreement, which has been criticised for a lack of consultation and transparency. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Scott Waide earlier today, shortly after the bilateral meeting between the leaders of India and PNG. Yes, the main meeting has just ended with statements by the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, James Marape, and the Indian Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, uh, they've just broken for lunch. Uh, it was a closed-door meeting, uh, largely 
while it was telecasted, it was uh, muted for for the public, so the media was contained in a, a media room downstairs. So much of the discussions were not actually heard uh, very clearly. But the initial opening address uh, was statements delivered both by uh, the Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea and uh, uh, the Prime Minister of India. Now, obviously, as I'm speaking to you, the the U.S. Uh, PNG meeting yet to start, but we've been seeing some some protests throughout the day, um, starting in the morning from from students. Well, what are they protesting against? Uh, generally, it's it's the lack of transparency as they see it, and and they're expressing that uh, they feel that the consultations that should have happened haven't happened, and the time frame in which this agreement is being signed uh, is too short. Uh, many feel that the United States is pushing an agenda, uh, a geopolitical agenda, and Papua New Guinea is being caught in the middle of it. So uh, generally the, the narrative from students uh, all over the country is that the government needs to explain what they're signing. Uh, and if we don't understand, if the people don't understand what's being signed, then it should be delayed. And we have the opportunity to uh, delay that signing uh, un- until a later date, until people actually are consulted and Parliament uh, is, has debated on the matter. So that's, that's the primary narrative that's coming out from students. Uh, students from University of Goroka, uh, in the Eastern Highlands, uh, at Unitech in Ley, uh, have uh, begun protests as early as six o'clock in the morning. They're still uh, sitting and and talking about this in in their forums. Uh, over in uh, the latest institution to join has been the uh, Goroka Technical College. Uh, so it's it's a wide range of institutions, the largest ones in the country that are protesting this signing. Um, also, a host of other Pacific leaders out and about in Moresby. How's the spectacle of having having the Pacific leaders back in Moresby again? Yeah, it's an interesting mix of uh, people from all over the Pacific, uh, you know, Melanesia, uh, Polynesian, Micronesia, all represented in one location. So it, it's a pretty exciting spectacle for Papua New Guineans. Uh, in Port Moresby, just watching all Pacific leaders uh, gathering. It's not always that uh, we have a group of Pacific Island countries uh, meeting in in Port Moresby, and especially with the arrival of the Indian Prime Minister. Security has been pretty tight, uh, so it's been rather difficult trying to uh, get into the venues. Roads have been blocked off, uh, and school kids who attended the opening have had to walk back. Uh, over that long stretch of highway that has been blocked off. So it's it's an interesting day today. Despite local concerns about the agreement, Australia's Minister for Defence, International Development and the Pacific, Pat Conroy, says he's pleased that the US is strengthening its engagement in the South Pacific. Lydia Law spoke to Minister Conroy and began by asking him if the US would be getting more out of its new defence cooperation agreements with PNG than Australia, despite the stronger historical ties between Moresby and Canberra. Well, uh, the details of the DCA have not been made public yet. Uh, it's an extension of their 1989 Status of Forces Agreement, so uh, we'll see what that comes forward. I'm very pleased that the US is continuing its engagement in the Pacific and I welcome the cooperation between PNG and the United States. The bilateral security treaty we're negotiating um, will be very broad. Uh, it reflects the, the principles of the 2018 Boyd Declaration, which says that security is 
it has to be abroad. It has to include things like climate change, impact of um, natural disasters, um, support for uh, peace and prosperity in the Pacific. So I'm con very confident the BST will bring Australia and Papua New Guinea even closer together. We're the closest of neighbours, only four kilometres separates us, and we're the dearest of friends. But do you have any concerns at all, though, about the agreement with the US, given Australia's very close relationship with PNG? Uh, no, I don't. OK. No, I don't. And do you plan uh, on closing your offshore detention centres anytime soon? If so, when? Oh, our, our policies are on the public record about how we're handling that issue, so I don't have anything further to add on that. How many uh, refugees do you still have um, on uh, offshore detention centres? Uh, again, I'm not the Immigration Minister, so I don't have those details in front okay. of me. And how did your meeting with Palau go? What was discussed? Uh, well, I, I, as a matter of policy, I don't disclose confidential discussions, but I always enjoy my conversations with the President of Palau, President Whips, and um, he's a proud member of the Pacific family, as is Australia, and we've got lots to work on together, including action on climate change, uh, dealing with the geopolitical competition in the region, and... Um, I'm so pleased to be here because only by talking and working on priorities together can we advance a peaceful and prosperous Pacific. Thank you so much for your Cheers. time. Thank you. At the time today's program was recorded, Papua New Guinea and the United States were yet to hold their bilateral meetings. We'll bring you a full report on the outcomes of that meeting in tomorrow's Pacific Waves. Teenage sensation Ian Tongi has won American Idol. Dongi is the first Pacific Islander to have won the TV series, one of the most popular shows in the world. Final Fonua has more. The winner of American Idol 2023 is Ian Dongi! Ian Dongi was unknown until four months ago when his soulful singing captivated audiences. The 18-year-old Hawaiian, who is of Tongan heritage, dominated the vote count, taking 45% of the vote, ahead of second-placed Megan Danielle, who took 32%. His debut performance is the most viewed American Idol video on YouTube. It brought tears to celebrity judges Lionel Richie and Katy Perry. He makes history as the first Polynesian to win one of the most popular talent shows in the world. Pacific scientists are trialling a new biodegradable fish aggregative device in the hopes it will help reduce the environmental footprint of commercial fishing in the region. Commonly referred to as FADs, in the industry fish aggregating devices are man-made raft-like structures which can be fixed or free-floating that have nets hanging underneath them to attract fish. Scientists from the Pacific Community, or SPC, have developed jelly FADs using natural materials like bamboo canes, cotton canvas and ropes, which will degrade slowly over 9 to 12 months, leaving little in the way of an environmental footprint. Kuroi Hawkins spoke with Lorianne Escal, a senior fishery scientist at the Pacific Community, about the initiative. Yes, um, so this is really a, a key for to solve some of the problems, um, in particular ecosystem impacts and, and marine pollution. When we talk about normal drifting fads, they're mostly used, uh, they're mostly made of plastic, uh, also nets um, that can so trap marine species. And, um, and the, the new type of fad that um, we are trialing right now with um, as part of the project from the, the Tuna Commission, uh, uh, the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission, 
is to make a new type of fat, so which is called a jelly fat, um, which we say is non-entangling. So it basically means that it cannot trap marine species like sharks or rays. And it's also really the, the main point is to make it biodegradable. So uh, stop using any plastic, but using only materials that can degrade in water, like we use cotton ropes or cotton canvas. Um, and, and the idea is that this, this new design would, would have less impact on, on the environment. How likely is it that industry players, partners would be to take on the use of jelly fads, given I'm assuming that the the construction of of the current fads are based on on longevity and you know being being able to construct them with material readily available. Like, how would you convince the industry to take up these fads? Because I would imagine they'd need to be used in large numbers to make an impact, right? Yes, that, that's true. That's that's a really good point. I mean. Um... The way to to convince them to start with is to show that they work and that they work as well as the normal fat they've been using. I mean, a lot of fishermen are also very aware of of the environment and reducing the the impact and making the the fishery more sustainable is is a goal for them as well. So at this stage, this is only a trial. So the objective is we need to show that it works so it can stay together uh, for at least nine months and then degrade only after that and also the fact that it needs to work um, well so <laughs> it needs to aggregate tuna and being able to lead to catches that are as high as the normal fats and um, another kind of aspect that, that for the region and for managers maybe more than fisher is really important is that in addition to reducing environmental impact this type of fats can also benefit pacific fisheries in, in other ways by creating jobs business opportunities directly in countries like in small island developing states uh, where the ports are based. Um, they're going to need to have small businesses that are trained to um, to to build those new type of uh, jelly fats and also having the materials um, really readily available if possible in, in, in countries. So those are all of the different aspects that we are exploring and, and training people during the project and that will um, hopefully help um, the different fishing company adopt this new uh, design. I guess the the fastest way you could achieve that would be to get the WCPFC to or and like regional FFA and PNA and the like to put in like a requirement that only this type of fat be used in the fishery, right? Totally. I mean, this this is a really good um, this is a really important aspect. Is that um, a lot of the, the, the management uh, measures that are implemented by the, the different instances that, that you mentioned, there's, there's the one driving the change as well. And currently, there's already a measure that has been adopted regarding the mandatory use of non-entangling fats, so fat that can't trap marine animals. So this is going to be um, mandatory starting next year. And then there's a general um, kind of transition towards biodegradable fats. It's not mandatory yet, uh, but uh, there's a plan, an adoption plan about uh, when we could we could get there. How much time do you need to collect the data that you need to prove that jelly fads are just as effective as a normal or existing fads? Well, um, so we need to test the, the, the jelly fads in normal fishing condition for at least uh, yeah, nine months, nine months to a year. Um, and then so we're, we're going to start having the first uh, results 
to the, the, the end of 2023. Um, so that's going to be one year of, of testing, uh, but uh, the sample size uh, remains a bit a bit low. So we'll need to uh, kind of increase in the number of um, fat that can be tested. Uh, at the moment, it's only um, we're only going to be deploying in total 400 as part of the project. So um, the idea would be over the next few years to scale up the numbers that are deployed and to uh, work with different uh, fishing fleets and different ports to extend the project. So probably I would say between three and five years, we will start having a really good uh, idea of uh, how um, how good they work and uh, how the, the Pacific can transition towards this more sustainable um, fishing gear. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs or you can download us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, till fast way forward.